champions, Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. Hey everyone, and welcome to Eagle Eye with Ruben Frank. I'm Dave Zangaro. Down here at the Senior Bowl, uh, soggy. Very, very soggy. It has rained now for like 36 hours, and yesterday's practice was all in the rain. And uh, we have breaking news. Dave is moving to Mobile. Um, he'll be covering the Eagles from Mobile. Yeah. He's uh, relocating, and uh, so yeah, congratulations on the big move. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind Mobile. Uh, ready to go home. Ready to go home. Uh, yesterday was brutal. It was. I'm actually thankful in a way that they didn't move practice under. They have like a, an overhang. But if they move it in there, then we can't watch, which is what's happening on Thursday. So I'm thankful that they kept it outside, but. We were standing out there for five hours in the rain, and this is a classic move by me. Brought an umbrella with me all the way from Philly to Mobile. Guess where it was? In my hotel room. Hotel room. Yeah. In my hotel room, not with me on the fields, Uh, but I had a raincoat, and you know, once you're once you're one hundred percent saturated, you're like, all right, I might as well just stand out here. You can't get more saturated than one hundred percent. That is true. That's how percentages work. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I did give it 110% on my practice observations. And we'll go through some of them. It was a a little tough day to evaluate some positions because of the rain. I mean, it was it was coming down and at least early on, there were <laughs> we were watching it early on, just receiver and quarterback drills drop, 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 drop. But uh, it got a little better, and it ended up being a useful practice or useful two practices. Uh, so I'll kind of just go through some of my notes, and, and we'll talk about some of the players and the positions they play. Uh, for me, the big winner on day two is Perrion Winfrey from Oklahoma. He's a defensive tackle. On day one, it was Jermaine Johnson, uh, which worked out really well for me because I, I mocked him to the Eagles, and then he goes out and plays really well. Uh, but Winfrey was I, I, just a – wrecking ball on Wednesday and he's really had a good week he's helped himself out quite a bit I don't know if he'll be a first round pick but no he'll be an early round pick for sure and defensive tackle down here is a stacked position it's um a few of the guys uh and it starts with Winfrey but Neil Farrell from LSU has played really well Ohio State's Haskell Garrett uh Devontae Wyatt from Georgia and Travis Jones from UConn at least really stood out in the one-on-ones, which is a good start for a defensive tackle. And it got me thinking about the Eagles defensive tackle position because it's not a pressing need. You know, they're going to have Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave and Milton Williams this year, but it's a sneaky need, especially given how much stock they put into that position. Yeah. And I, you know, Fletcher's not a kid and his, his play has, um, has, you know, gone downhill gradually in the last couple of years, which there's no shame in that. It happens to guys in their 30s. And, and Hargrave, you know, he's he's not a kid either. He's not, you know, not an older player, but 
um, I think there's there's definitely a case to be made. And you know, I think Milton, um, I don't know what Milton's ceiling is. I, I really like his game. Uh, I, I do think he's going to be kind of a combo inside-outside guy. Uh, but I could definitely see how he addressing interior line uh, at some point day two, you know, uh, if not day one, it wouldn't shock me if it was day one. Uh, I do think there'll be talent dropping down into the second and third rounds because there's so many good de- uh, defensive tackles. Uh, but uh, it, it, I feel like it is a need. I mean, I think this is going to be Fletcher's last year with the Eagles. I would think um, the the contract bit might make it tough, might, might keep him here another two years. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's certainly an area of, uh, if not need, of interest. Yeah, and Hargrave is entering a contract year. You'd right. think the Eagles would want to re-up him before he hits it or during that contract year, but maybe he's looking at it and, and thinking, no, I want to hit the market now that I've really established myself as a higher-level player. That wouldn't surprise me. So, yeah, and I like Milton Williams. I'm bullish on him, but... I still don't know exactly what he's going to be. So, yeah, yeah, I think it makes some sense for them to look at that position. And there were some some good ones showing their stuff on uh, on Wednesday. Let's talk about the quarterbacks because I thought day one Kenny Pickett was the best of the bunch, and, and some people disagree. It was, it's, opinions differ. I just thought he was the most consistent, whereas Malik Willis like looked like maybe the most talented, but. He made some awful throws too. Day two is a little different. I I I was impressed by Malik Willis, and that says something that he did it in the rain. Um, you know, to have his best day in the rain, and I get why he's talked about as a first round pick. I you could see it a little bit on day one, but day two he was he was really impressive. I'll bet a lot of the the scouts and coaches down there don't really mind the conditions because. You know, if you're in the NFL, if you're a quarterback, you're going to have to play in rain and, and cold and, and wind and whatever. I mean, it's, you know, you don't get a lot of days that are, you know, sunny and no wind and 71 degrees. So, um, you know, I, I think that's that's a situation, whether you're a receiver or a quarterback, you know, how, how does this guy manage the conditions? How does he adjust? How does he how does he deal with it? And it sounds like Malik Willis is, is one guy who really did that. Um He's an interesting guy. I, I still think he's going to be the first quarterback taken. I think his, I, I think his ceiling is is higher than Pickett's, but I think Pickett maybe is a safer pick. But um, I think somebody's going to somebody's going to take Willis pretty high. I think uh, he's he's a really interesting yeah, guy. It could happen. I mean, he uh, talent wise, he has it all. Uh, he made some throws on Wednesday that were just awful, though. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. Maybe it a little nerves, or it's just you know you're figuring. It's tough too because they're figuring out this offense. Like they just learned these plays. Now you're on a practice field running them with players you've never played before. So you have to remember all that. It, like it's in a way, it's easier for a receiver to come out here and, and impress everyone because here's the route tree. This is the route you run on this play, and that's it. You catch the ball. Whereas a quarterback. You're learning that it's a it's a watered down offense, but you have to learn a lot, and, and you're cramming it into. I mean, these guys got here Monday or or Sunday, you know, so they're, they're just here and they're basically thrown on the practice field. Uh, but I, I was impressed by Willis Pickett for what it's worth. 
the ball wasn't like falling out of his hand. You know, people worried about that weird disjointed thumb and what it would mean for his hand measurements. But uh, I mean, he didn't have any issues with that. That's a good sign, I think. You know, the hand size is it's my favorite part of the pre-draft process because it's so silly at times, but it, it matters to a certain extent. Yeah. But Joe Burrow had small hands. He's doing all right. You know, I mean, yeah, I remember that was a big thing with, with Burrow <laughs> coming out a couple of years you know. ago. Yeah. And I actually talked to someone from Pickett's camp about that weird disjointed thumb. And they said it helps him grip the football better because it's like around the side <laughs> of it more. They're like trying to show me and, but they have a normal thumb, so they can't pull it out to show me. Right. Uh, but I, I, I'm not too worried about that. Uh, the other quarterbacks, I thought Ritter was a little bit better uh, on day two than day one. Uh, he has some skills. I, I don't, I think he's probably behind a few of these guys. Carson Strong has a big arm, but <laughs> it's like a big arm, don't know where it's going sometimes. It's, uh, I, I like the thing. The thing I like about Carson Strong is he'll just unload deep balls. He's fun to watch at practice, but there's sometimes where I don't know if that was the throw to make. And it's, you're watching it soar like 60 yards through the air. Uh, but the quarterbacks are always a talk down here. And and these guys, and I, didn't, I should mention Sam Howell. He's, uh, he had a sneaky good day on day two. No one talked about him, but he was, he was hitting like 15 yard slants, boom, 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 boom in the rain, which is impressive. These guys are are going to be first round picks. Maybe not Ritter. Maybe he falls out. But the rest of them probably, maybe strong. Not neither. But there's going to be first round picks here. Yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, it always starts out like in bad quarterback years or not great quarterback years. Yeah, there's not going to be any quarterbacks in the top ten. But then there are people. People draft quarterbacks. I don't know if there's a slam dunk prospect in the bunch. Um, no, there's no slam dunk. I, I, you know, I think Pickett is, you know, if you're looking to check boxes like across the Pickett checks them. Um, don't know what the ceiling is. The other ones all have like at least one big flaw in their game. But you know, coaches they see a skill set and think ah, I can, I'll be the guy to fix it. Yeah, and if you're right, you know, it's it's, it's worth the worth the risk. Um, I mean, I, I think back to, to 99 with those five guys and everyone thought they were all can't-miss guys. And, you know, three of them won, like, single-digit games in their career. You know, I mean, Kelly Smith and and uh, and Couch and, and uh, Cade McNown and Culpepper and Donovan were the only the only decent picks out of the five. So, you, I mean, there, I mean there, was, there was no consensus about any of them. So, although Jeff Lurie did say at uh, – at Donovan's number retirement uh, press conference that the Eagles would have taken Culpepper if they took a quarterback and it wasn't Donovan, which is He should have said we would have taken Achilles Smith or, like, made himself look better. I don't think he would have looked better if he said we were going to take Achilles Smith. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, it's, really, it's really interesting to me just because we're going to spend so much time picking apart what these guys can't do, and then they're all going to be, like, top 20 pick, top 15 pick, so, or at least – three three or four of them so yeah. it, it's funny how that goes people want quarterbacks and i yeah i mean i think that kind of plays into the eagles thinking too when you when your quarterback's jalen hurts you're not going to draft a quarterback in the first round that's a project or that's not a a slam dunk yeah because 
you know, you already have one of those. Uh, if, you know, I think if, if there was that guy uh, in this draft, then, you know, I think they, I think their whole thinking about the quarterback position might be different. Yeah, maybe. And it, that's not to say that, you know, if I, I think the fear from a lot of fans was that they'd sit in fear or maybe they were looking at it as a, a positive thing, but they'd come down here and, you know, watch Malik Willis and go, Oh, this could change our thinking. I'm, I don't think that's going to happen, you know, but you never say never, you know, I, if they look at one of these guys and think, well, he just has better skills than the guy we have. It's possible, but I think those skills would need to be like head and shoulders above what they have to change direction. And then you have to think about like where the Eagles are as a team. Like if you feel like in two years, you can really compete for something, you know, and then you look at the quarterback class in, in 2023 and you look about, and you look at what you can do with these three picks as far as building up your roster and running it back with Jalen, it just makes so much sense. And if it doesn't work, now you have those players that you drafted this year, even if it's just two and you trade back, whatever it is, you've upgraded the roster. Jalen's got another year of experience. And there's there are better quarterbacks, we think, in the 2023 draft that will have the players that you've drafted this year. So, if you know, it, it's... Yeah, it, they have to be careful about those evaluating future quarterback classes. I remember when they yeah. traded up in, in 2016, they did it because they thought the next few years are going to be dry. And the next few years produce the best quarterbacks in the league. I mean, some, some really talented guys. So I, I don't, it's tough to project, especially that position. We're talking about Spencer Rattler last year as being the first overall pick and he, he disappeared. So yeah, you never know. Yeah, and now people are speculating that he's going to be a first-round pick next year after he, you know, reinvents himself. Where did he transfer to? I don't even remember. Yeah, I don't even uh, know. Vanderbilt or something? <laughs> no, but All right, let's let's move yeah. on here. Um, let's move on. Uh, Daniel Faalele, uh, six foot eight, three hundred eighty-seven pounds. Everyone wanted to watch him down here. He has like he has the body. He has the athleticism. Far from a finished product. Uh, he got run over by a 240-pound linebacker on Wednesday. It was one of those ooh ah, moments of practice. And I, I've been a little disappointed by him. He was it just for the sheer size of him, everyone wanted to watch him. But uh, he needs work. He needs a lot of work. And they're going to have to – someone's going to draft him because of who – like of the size and the – the athleticism, especially if he moves well at the combine, but project, definite project. Yeah. When you look at the Eagles, you think interior line is pressing. Would you call it pressing need? It, it all hinges, I guess, on Kelsey, but should it? It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Um, see, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say it's a pressing need just because that you're, we're assuming Samalo comes back healthy and we're assuming he can play right guard if Kelsey's back. And if you have Dickerson, Kelsey, and Samalo with, you know, with Mulata and Lane Johnson, it's a, it's a pretty stacked offensive line. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of the evaluation of the interior line had, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if they know what Kelsey's going to do. I don't know if Kelsey knows what Kelsey's going to do. I, I know he will tell them before the draft. I mean, they'll they'll know way before that. Yeah. You know, he'll give them that courtesy. I would think it'll be sooner than that. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with your value. You know, what do you think of Jack Driscoll? Like, is he is he a big V type guy who can back up every spot and be a really good backup at four four O line spots? I think he could play left tackle, um, or is is you know. Do you really think he's a starter? I mean, do you think he's a starter level, like a good starter level guy? And how do the injuries factor into your evaluation of him? Yeah, two years in a row now he's, he's had a series of injuries, really, just one after the other. Um, the Dickerson pick, man, I think that changes a lot of things. Do you know the Eagles haven't drafted a Pro Bowl offensive lineman in the second round since the 1950s? I was looking for like the last, you know, that they haven't um, like most of their good offensive linemen have been late round guys, you know, um, or free agents in in some cases, you know, Brooks and, and JP uh, or trade, you know, older guy. But um, yeah, I I think they like taking linemen in the later rounds. I mean, you look at their line. Obviously, Lane was the fourth pick, but. I mean, Kelsey was a six. Mulata was a seven. Dickerson was a two. Driscoll was a four. Sam Mollow was a three. Herbig is undrafted. Um, I think if you have Stoutland, you can find an offensive lineman. Um, so I don't, you know, and then you look at who they've, you know, obviously Lane was a great pick in, in 13, but, I mean, the fireman was the first-round pick. Same year, Kelsey was a six-round pick. You look at their career. So um, I don't consider a pressing need. Think get some clarity when we know what what Kelsey's doing, but you know as long as Howie's a GM, they're they're going to take alignment somewhere. I mean they they just will. Yeah, it's just a matter of where they're going to take a couple. But I don't I I don't think they're going into this thing saying, you know, because even if you don't have Kelsey, I mean you could still line up Dickerson, Samalo, and and Driscoll or, or Herbig or whoever your right guard is, and be pretty solid. So yeah, but I, I don't. In a way, though, I almost don't even know if Kelsey saying he's coming back for another year should change your strategy because he's going to retire soon. And either way, yeah, 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 you know, and that you know, like Linderbaum's been talked about a bunch, but even like a guy like Zion Johnson down here in Mobile, you know, if if you think you have an heir apparent, and Zion took some center reps, that's why I'm saying it, but if if you think you can, if you think like Linder, say Linderbaum, this is the guy, 
it shouldn't stop you from taking him this year because Kelsey's back. In fact, like, you can argue that having that guy sit for a year behind Kelsey, not a bad idea. That's true. I, I, I happen to think that he's going to be gone by the time they start picking, and I'm not sure you want to start trading up for a center. But um, You think he'll be gone that early? Centers don't yeah. get taken that early. Yeah, I think I think he might be. It just doesn't happen though, like historically. No, it doesn't. It never happens. But I think it might happen. I think he's that much better than most centers coming out. But maybe look if he drifts down to the to where you pick, I would I would take him. I would take him in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think he'll be there. Oh, I do. That's interesting. I mean, I think I can't remember where I had him going. I think maybe the Giants in in my mock. I know I. I Pardon me. It's, It's pretty high. Yeah, it is. For center. Yeah. But I think he's I mean he's a generational center as they say. So Yeah. It, now is he's not down there, is that right? No, he's not. Yeah. Um All right. Yeah. Linebacker. I want to talk about linebacker cuz Devin Lloyd pulled out uh, of the senior bowl. I was disappointed about that, but there have been some other good players here. Uh Channing Tindall from Georgia who was not even a starter at Georgia. That's how how deep they were. Uh, I, I've been impressed by him this week, uh, Chad Muma from Wyoming. There are options, and I think that's important to remember because we all get so focused on the first round, and especially this year with three first-round picks. Are they going to take Devin Lloyd, Nicobe Dean? Are they going to take one of these guys? They can get a really good linebacker in the second round, and they haven't used a second-round pick on a linebacker in a while either. You know, it's not like Hendricks, right? Hendricks, and what was that? Twelve. Uh, Twelve, yeah. So it's been a long time since they've, they've done that. They used a third-round pick for Davion Taylor a couple of years ago, but that was a late third-round pick. I think that was, what, 103? So it's almost into the fourth round. Using a, like an, like a where they are in the second round versus where they drafted Davion Taylor, there's a big drop-off in right. the, the level of talent from those picks. So I think that's an option. And you have some, a guy who you think is going to be – Who's going to be there middle of the second round that you like? Who's there's a few, and Tyndall's one. Uh, people are going to be a little scared away by the fact that he wasn't a starter. But you look at that team that had Nicobe Dean and Quay Walker. Like you're not going to, yeah. What are you going to do? It's why it's why Jermaine Johnson transferred out of Georgia. He, he's a, he's a first round pick, and he couldn't get the opportunity at Georgia, so he went to another school. Uh, there's there are going to be options there, and. It's it's really fun to think about the the three first round picks. It gives you this incredible opportunity to just take the best player because you're going to come back in the second round, and there's going to be another option there. So you can just get three positions out of the way and know that the second round pick is going to be a decent option. It's either way, it's going to be a decent option. Yeah, yeah, and and they have a. I mean, they have five of the first. I forget the number, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we focus so much on the first round, but then they're going to have, you know, they have three fives. So, I mean, they, they have a lot of picks on. They're not going to obviously have the same picks on draft weekend as they have now because Howie will be Howie. But um, yeah, I like the idea. I See, I, I haven't ruled out a first round linebacker. And I know the whole Jerry Robinson thing, 1979. But it's not like Howie made all those picks. It's not like Howie has said for 40 years, I'm not taking a linebacker in the first round. Um, I'm not convinced they won't. But he has basically said that since he's been here. 
Yeah, but he's never had three ones before. And I think that I agree changes, with that. It changes yeah. everything. And I, I would not be I would not be shocked if they do. I would not be shocked if they do. Yeah, me neither. I spe- I and those two, maybe Christian Harris from Alabama could sneak into the conversation at some point. He's another one. If he's available in the second round, it'd be a really good pick. But I wouldn't be shocked either. Yeah. All right. I only have two more things. Yeah, good. I was just going to say, seeing what um, Micah Parsons did, like, as a, you know, I I wonder how much, if if they see that. I mean, if you see that in anyone, I guess you see it in in Devin Lloyd just because he's a, a physical freak. Right. But I don't know if you can change your evaluation process on Michael Parsons because he's such a unicorn. That's probably true. I, I just, yeah, that's probably true. I, but I, I haven't, I mean, I haven't taken a, a linebacker in, I haven't taken Lloyd in my mock, in my last mock. Um, I didn't in my first one because I haven't taken a quarterback, but I, I, I went off that for the second one. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. I, I kind of like yeah. to see it. I, I'm, yeah. We're gonna to have to call Jerry Robinson at some point. I think I think that's gonna be your story. I think every time Jerry Robinson's phone rings and he sees a Philly area code, he goes, Oh, I gotta talk about this again. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Mamula was telling me like around the combine, he gets like five or six calls every year. Uh, people who want to talk to him about about that. Does he talk to him? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh next one. I only have two more things I want to get to. Uh, tight end. It's a really good crop down here. They've been fun to watch. Trey McBride from Colorado State, I think, is the best one down here. Uh, he had he's he might he's going to be a high round pick. Uh, but another guy who's really impressed me. I didn't know a ton about Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State. I mean, he he kind of reminds me of Dallas Goddard a little bit in that in college he just didn't catch the ball very much. Um, he only had 26 catches last year, but well, he like, has the ability. Their, look at their wide receivers. You're like, why would you ever throw the tight end? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a good point. But he's shown – he looks really smooth. He looks like he caught 50 balls last year, you know? And that's the fun thing about this process is it, you know, you can't draft on what they've done. You have to draft on what they're going to do. And he's a guy that – he could do some good things in the next level. And tight end is a position we've talked about before. It's not, it's not the most pressing need. There's clearly needs. They need there's positions. They need more, but adding a tight end to go with Dallas Goddard, not a bad idea. I have a Dallas Goddard stat. I, I unearthed last night. He caught 56 passes this year. 42 of them went for first downs. Is that interesting? 42 out of 56. Wow. I thought that was that was uh, Kelsey is the only guy who had a higher percentage um, out of all the tight ends who caught. I, I think I did like um, thirty or more passes, but yeah, I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we talked about Stoll is good, good blocker, but uh, yeah, they they definitely. You know, I, it's funny we talk about how many catches the Ohio State kid had. I, I'll never forget the first draft I ever covered. I might have told this one eye story before, but. The Eagles drafted Keith Jackson with the, I think it was the eighth pick out of Oklahoma. And he had caught 13 passes his last year there. And he'd only caught like 40, 45 his entire career. I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And of course, as a rookie, he said, he set a record that still stands. He had 88 catches as a rookie. It's still the most by a rookie tight end. At the time, it was the most by any rookie. And it's, uh, now you have receivers catching 115 every year, but, uh, 
it, you know, they didn't, they never threw the ball to Oklahoma. I mean, they were, they ran 50 times a game and, you know, but he, when he did get the opportunity to, to catch the ball, he, he caught it. And, you know, you look at his traits and his size and his speed and strength and it's like eighth pick in the draft caught 13 passes as a senior. So, um, yeah, yeah. And that was such a lesson for me. I mean, it was my first year covering the, the draft and, I didn't. I, I didn't know that you can, you know, be a totally different player in the NFL than you were in college. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. There's no internet. We couldn't Google these guys, <laughs> you know. So they hadn't invented the internet yet. So that's the thing. Now it's like, yeah, we we have so many ways to watch these guys that you know, and, and they have all like, so so many outlets and, and so many ways for for guys to show their skills where you didn't really have that back then. Yeah. And back then, if you went to the combine, I mean, they wouldn't let you anywhere near the building. <laughs> I mean, they just, you know, now it's become a media friendly thing, sort of. But um, yeah. That, so, you know, I, I just like, well, I drafting a guy who caught 13 balls. What are they lost their minds and ended up being a all pro as a rookie in a three time pro bowler. And, yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a good lesson for me. That was, was definitely eye opening. Uh, my last one. Uh, Bo Melton had a really good day on Wednesday. I'm happy to see it because I'm writing about him <laughs> pretty soon, and his day one was a little shaky. But uh, he's Rutgers receiver, smaller, a un- little undersized, uh, Cedar Creek uh, product too from Mays Landing area. Uh, had a really good day too. He's he's real quick, uh, good cutting ability, and we saw the ways they were using them. They, they gave him the ball in the end around once. Uh, there was another player was a quick pass in the flat, and that's how I think NFL teams are going to see him. The, his team did a good job of putting him in situations to kind of show what he can do. Uh, what was that smirk for? No, I was just, I, I mean, he just described like what what they were hoping Jalen Rager would become, but yeah, uh, yeah. didn't work. No, all right, that's didn't. all my my notes from that uh, from that practice. It was a good one, even though it was downpouring. When do I get to talk about Bo Melton's track career? It was in New Jersey. Uh, right after the podcast ends. 100-meter dash champ uh, for Cedar Creek. I didn't even know he played football. That's like I was like, why is Bo Melton there? He's a track guy. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't run it at Rutgers, but, yeah, he was, he was a good sprinter in, in high school. That's all. All right. Uh, Deuce Staley yeah. is the head coach down here for uh, the American team. He's, he's, his practices are fun. He's had these competition periods, kind of not unlike what we saw Sirianni do, except deuces are football <laughs> all the time. Uh, and he ends practice with it, which is fun too. I think Deuce is going to make a good head coach one day. I hope he gets the opportunity. It was really kind of wild on uh, on Tuesday when the Brian Flores news broke about the lawsuit. Deuce was on the field coaching. And it's like, this is, you're looking at Deuce going, well, that guy should have more opportunity and he hasn't gotten it. Um, I hope he does. I, I really think Deuce will be a, a good head coach. And I hope this week kind of shows other NFL teams that I, I don't know how much it will, but he's done it all this week. He's, uh, Dan Campbell said he, Deuce, it, it was all in Deuce. He had to do the schedule. He had to, um, he had to figure out how practice would work, what they're going to do in practice, what, they were going to do in meetings. Uh, so he's, it, it, I think this has been a good experience for him. Yeah. I mean, 
obviously didn't get an interview during this whole cycle, ten, nine or ten openings. Um, you think about the people Deuce has been around. I mean, he he played under Ray Rhodes in uh, 97 and 98, and then Big Red played under Big Red, coached under Big Red, uh, coached under Chip Kelly, coached uh, under Doug, and coached under Dan Campbell. I mean, he's been around some really good coaching minds, and he's been around the game a long time. He's um, He's got such natural leadership ability. Um, uh, you know, he's – He's got great ideas. I mean, I would love to, you know, we, we didn't really get to talk to him too much, but you'd run into him in the hallway or in the cafeteria back when we were allowed in those places. Now we'll get, we get arrested if they see us in the cafeteria, Dave. But um, back in the day, you know, you'd run into guys and you'd just talk football, training camp. Um, and I was always impressed by Deuce's, like, his ability to see what was going to happen in two years and and what a player is going to become and and what a player needed. He, he really had a, a great feel for, um, you know, whether to go hard on a player, whether to, you know, sit down and have a talk with him. Um, it's, it's, it was really, I, I loved watching him coach. I just, you know, and, you know, he's one of those guys who just, you could just visualize him being a head coach. And I just don't know if he's ever going to get the opportunity, you know, how, I mean, Look, the Lions, how far are the Lions from being a, a contender for anything? I mean, they're years away. Um, and you don't you don't get a lot of running backs coaches or, you know, getting interviews when their team's 4-13 and 13 or whatever they were. Um, so I, I think he's going to have to get a coordinator job. Uh, I hope that happens. He's going to have to call plays. Um but I, I'm totally with you. I totally agree. I, I, I just, you know, if Eric Bieniemy can't get a job, you know, and he's had twenty, he's had over twenty interviews over the years. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to be optimistic for Deuce. Yeah, it's a shame too because I, I agree with you. I think he'd make a really good head coach. The one thing that I found was kind of cool, he had the assistant head coaching title in Philly, and I, I don't think it ever that position ever became what they kind of envisioned it would be, you know, when they, when they gave him that title, it, it sounded like they, at the time they really wanted to give him an increased role and really talk in front of the team a lot. And, and it just didn't really happen like that. Uh, but in, in Detroit at times, not, not the way they thought well, it was going to. I mean, Deuce talked about how Doug would give him, would give him a lot, a lot of responsibility that a normal position coach wouldn't have. I, I, I don't, I don't know about in front of the team, but Dan Campbell seems to definitely be doing that. Yeah, Deuce has talked, and he talks in front of the team quite a bit, apparently. And Dan Campbell had some experience with this kind of role because he had it under Sean Payton. So yeah. it's he basically made Deuce him when he was under Sean Payton, and that led to a head coaching job for him. Now, of course, the Saints were an established team with the great head coach and winning records every year. And that's going to help you get hired a little quicker, but it's clear that that's what Campbell wants to do for Deuce. And I, I hope it helps. And Sean Payton was here with Deuce in 97 and 98. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Just, all right. Uh, Jonathan Gannon, still the Eagles defensive coordinator as we record this by the time, who knows he might not be. when this comes out, it's down to two guys. It's, it's McCown or it's, it's Jonathan Gannon. Kevin O'Connell got hired away by Minnesota. Well, is going to get hired away. They can't do it yet. That leaves two guys for the Texans job. And 
Gannon is firmly in the mix. I mean, it. no one knows which way it's going to go, but I can tell you the Eagles are preparing both ways. They, they have to be ready if he gets hired away. It's a very real possibility. Yeah, I personally think it's going to be McCown. Um, but, uh, but yeah, who knows? I, I'm just guessing at this point. Um, but it's like – yeah, and Josh McCown's never coached other than Rusk, what was a Rusk High School. Um, but why would you go to this extent? They interviewed him last year. They interviewed him twice this year. Why would you do that? You know, a guy who's never coached, he's that serious about him. Sounds like he sounds like you want to hire him. I don't know how he and Casario got so close. They've never been with the same I mean, he's never played for the Patriots. The Patriots are like the only team he never played for. Uh, but but they are apparently close. And uh yeah. I mean, neither one's really qualified. I mean, like, I like Gannon. I think he, I think he would do a good job. I mean, who knows about McCown? Uh, you know, he's a he's a smart guy, and and you know, he's been around the game twenty years. It's kind of like a Doug Peterson, like career backup, you know, quarterback who's played with and for some legendary people. But I mean, who knows? Um, and then and then there's Doug, who some people think, you know, will will get the Jaguars job. So. I kind of hope so. I'd like to see Doug back in the game. Yeah, but man, it's like you interviewed for that job how long ago? And then, you know, two months later, they hire you. It doesn't that have the, it kind of has a feeling when the Eagles hired him. It's like, uh, like we couldn't get who we wanted. So we'll hire this guy. Yeah. It doesn't have that feel to it. Absolutely. But it's the Jaguars. They've done everything wrong during this whole process. I mean, they wanted They're to bring in, what's that? They're a mess. Yeah, they are. Between them and the Texans, the AFC South is. I mean, they apparently didn't know the rule that if you hadn't given a guy a first interview before the AFC NFC Championship game weekend, you couldn't bring him in for a first interview between the this these games and the Super Bowl. But if you had given him a first interview, then you can bring him in for a second interview. So well, it's not like they won't. had a jump start on this whole thing or anything. <laughs> I mean, you know, was it December? When did they fire Meyer? It was like week 13, something like that. Yeah, and something they had to know that. they were firing him before that. Yeah, yeah, it was just a matter of when. Training camp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, and if you're Doug, like there's two ways to look at it. If you're Doug, you're like, well, I can go down. If I can go down there and turn them into a winning team, I'm a legend. Like I'm a flat-out legend. Um, but then there's, you know, what are my chances if I go down there with this, you know, with this structure in place, can I really change the culture? I mean, the GM situation, the owner, I I don't, I don't know, you know, would you, would you rather do that or just wait another year for, for a better opportunity? It's tough Uh, though. I mean, if you're out of it for two years, then you get forgotten in this league. Unless you go to broadcasting. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how he would do in that. That would be that'd be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he'd be a real natural at it, but who knows? Um, but the, the flip side of it is, if you get hired a second time and it doesn't work, you're done. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to get a third job. Yeah, I think a lot of it would be, you know, what do you think of Trevor Lawrence? Like, what, what, you know, do you really believe in this kid? And if you do. You know, like I, I can, I can get Trevor Lawrence to play at a really high level. You know, so, so if you do, then 
I mean, Doug's Doug's really good with quarterbacks. We know that. Yeah. So I think that would be a big part of it. I wouldn't want any part of that job, but you know, there is Only certain value. What's that? Only thirty-two of them. Yeah, I do think Doug would get hired. I mean, the guy won a Super Bowl for crying out loud. There's not a lot of coaches out there looking for jobs at once. So I think I think the two-year thing. I mean, look at Vermeil. He went to a Super Bowl and he got a job 15 years later. You know, so you know, and he didn't even win one until he came back. So I think Doug would be different than, you know, I, th- I think if you're, you know, if you're an average coach, uh, if you're out two or three years, you're probably not going to get a head coaching job. I think Doug's different. You mentioned quarterbacks. The Eagles quarterback had ankle surgery on Wednesday. It was that ankle. It, it was a long injury. I mean, it happened, what, on November 28th against the Giants? And then yeah. kind of lingered. He missed the game and it lingered. And then all of a sudden he's in a walking boot after they lose a playoff game. And it looks like he'll be back for OTAs, which is good for the Eagles. Um, but it also puts a and you put it in, in this frame of how much did it hinder him down the stretch? And I think it, it did, clearly. Yeah. Um, a couple of interesting things. The, the, the injury, I mean, there was question of whether he was going to even play. Like, he might play against them. He sounded like he was close to playing against the Jets. It's like this injury has not been a linear thing. Like, it's gotten worse. It's gotten better. It's gotten worse. Um, Although that week they – they told Minshew pretty early, I think, that he was. Yeah, yeah, but but then I mean, he was off the injury report before the the Bucks game, you know. I mean, he had said. I mean, Nick said he was close to a hundred percent after the. You know, he didn't play in the Dallas game. Uh, you know, so it's been kind of weird. He said after the Bucks game, he didn't think he would need. He, he said, "I hope I don't need surgery." Um, but you know the the. He actually averaged 5.1 yards per carry after he got hurt, which is crazy. But he averaged 5.7 before the injury. But he only ran six times a game, where before the injury he was running 11 times a game. So I think that that tells you. But it's not just the rushing. I think he just wasn't moving, you know, outside the pocket the way we were used to seeing. That's such a big part of his game uh, is creating things on the move. And – you know, he, he had some nice throws from the pocket, but he's not he's not going to be as dangerous if he can't move around. It's such a big part of his game, and I, I don't know if I can quantify how much it affected him. He played really well his first two games back. You know, it was, I think, what was it, the second Giants game in the Washington, in the first Washington game. But, um, yeah, he, he is just not the same guy. Uh, but... You know, to play devil's advocate, if you're that kind of quarterback where you're running 11 times a game, you know, is it inevitable that you're going to get hurt? That was a fluke play. I think Driscoll stepped on his foot. How yeah, he it's hurt. not like he got hurt out of the pocket running around. So, so yeah, I'm not, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't really buy it. But, um, you know, I think I think it does have to play into your evaluation of, of his, you know, because he clearly wasn't the same guy after that first Giants game. And – well, I, I can tell you, I think the Eagles are looking at it like when he got hurt, he was forced to stay in the pocket. And they're probably hoping that that ends up being a positive in the end. I don't know if it will be, but I think that's the way they're looking at it, is that there are some lessons for him in that, that 
you can stand in the pocket, you can move around in the pocket a little bit and still deliver the football. And I think there were some plays. I don't think overall you say like he got great at throwing the football from the pocket, but there were plays where you watched him and he thought, you know, early in the season, he probably takes off at the first sign of trouble where in this game, in this exact moment, he saw some trouble. He avoided it. He stayed in the pocket. He threw a pass. That's a, that's a tough thing for a mobile quarterback to learn when to do that, when not to do that. But if this injury helped in any way, if you're trying to find some positive, I think that's probably it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, Nick talked about that and, and the growth he saw, you're right. It wasn't like, I mean, he didn't turn into, you know, Joe Montana there, but um, he did make some throws from the pocket and, uh, that was encouraging. He's got to do it more consistently. We've been saying that since day one with him. Um, but hopefully when he looks at film and, and self-scouts himself, he sees that, you know, he can, you know, he, he can be that player at times. Uh, it's definitely going to help him. Anything else on Jalen? We'll move on. No. All right. Nope. Uh, Julian Laurie is down here at the Senior Bowl. Uh, there were four people on the field for the first practice, it was Howie Roseman, Nick Sirianni, Jeff Stoutland, Julian Lurie. Uh It was funny. I got asked about this on the radio yesterday as like a negative thing. Like, oh, I think people looking at like meddling son of the owner. I look at it as they're just grooming him to take over the, the franchise. You know, it. the word meddling gets used for the owner, but it's his team. He's going to be involved in decisions. It's not meddling, uh, it's owning. It's owning, yeah. And I, that's not to say that owners shouldn't hire people and let them do their jobs. You don't micromanage everything. But, yeah, o- owners are largely involved in, in decisions the team makes. It doesn't mean that they're like, you know, Jeff Lurie would never go to the senior role. I like that running back. You got to draft him. Like, that's not how it works. But, yeah, I, you're involved in every little facet. Of, it's your team. And – Jeff Lurie has been a really good owner. And I, I think it's encouraging that there's someone to keep it in that family. I, I you know, I, I see it as a positive and I'm not carrying water for them. Like I, I do. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I remember somebody telling me several years ago, cause we would see Julian, you know, at practice, we would see him at games on the field before games. And somebody in the organization said, you know, he, they said he, he asks good questions. Like he, he's interested. He listens, he wants to learn. Um, I mean, his look, Jeff Lurie has been an incredibly successful owner from by any, any way you measure it. Um, if you look at where the franchise was, you know, when he bought the team in 94, I mean, you look, they practiced in, in, in a glass strewn field, you know, they, their stadium was the worst in the league. Um, their coach was rich Kotite. you know, they hadn't had any periods of sustained success other than a couple of years in the early 80s, late 70s, you know, since the 40s, for crying out loud. So you look at where they were and where they've gone, and this is somebody that knows how to run an organization, knows how to run a franchise, and really Julian has spent his whole life around around this. And, you know, I'm sure the dinner table conversation is like, you know, hey, you know, why did you do this? Um, you know, I don't I, I don't know if that. I would even understand the dinner table conversation in, in that house. Yeah. I'd get lost pretty quick. Yeah, I wonder if they maybe they maybe they went to Chili's. We can share that <laughs> joke sometime, but um 
but yeah, he's you know he's he's serious about it. You, you see him around all the time, um, uh, and I, I think it's a yeah, I definitely think it's a good sign. You, you certainly don't want to hand an NFL franchise over to some you know disinterested you know child who is often in another city and or has other interests. I mean, he seems serious about it. Um, Jeff's been doing this a long time, 94, you know, 27, 28 years as an owner. Um, how old is, how old is Jeff Lurie? Do you, do you remember? He's 70. Is He's he? 70 now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah it's, it's time to start planning that next step. You don't know when it's going to come. Yeah. You know? But yeah. So it, I, it, I'm all in favor of it. Yeah. It's funny. I, I can say this. Sorry, but when I when I Texans, I was watching a similar process, and I didn't have a good feeling about it. I was watching Bob McNair get older and Kyle McNair kind of be around more, and I didn't have the same takeaways. The people I talked to didn't have the same feeling about Cal as people in the Eagles building feel about Julian, and that ended up <laughs> being pretty true. We used to joke around and call Cal Tommy boy from the movie. We felt like, man, he's going to get a hold of this company and screw it all up. And man, has he ever, I, I don't get that same sense from Julian Lurie. Lurie. And I don't son. know. him. I should say that. I don't know Julian Lurie. I don't think I've ever even spoken to him, but my sense from talking to people around the building is like, and you mentioned the same thing is that they think a lot of him. Yeah. And, you know, he did this two-year like rotational thing, or with the with the NFL, where you kind of learn different facets of of you know operational uh, you know procedures and everything. And so he's he's doing the right things. Doesn't mean he's going to be a great owner, but um, I mean, the longer the the team stays in Jeff Lurie's hands, I mean, gosh, if you sell a team, you know, you look at you never know, you never know what's going to happen. You get another Norman Brayman. Who almost moved the team out of Philadelphia? Um, yeah, there's uh, there's definitely definitely a lot of positives in this. I, I, I looked at it as a as a positive positive development, no doubt. Yeah, I think anytime the an owners on the field, fans get worried. I get that. You don't want Jerry Jones, but he's not that. I don't think. No, it's certainly better than having a guy that doesn't that lives in Miami, you know. And and I mean, Brandon was never here. I mean, he would fly in for press conferences, you know, like it was, you know, it was, uh, he was, he was so out of touch. And if you're going to be that kind of owner, you better have really, really strong management, which, which they didn't have. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a good development and, and it makes a lot of sense. We want to finish the podcast with our first installment of Stay or Go. The written part of this will begin on Monday, but you guys get a sneak peek at the first position we want to talk about as receiver. And we just do these alphabetically. Uh, the receivers, there's not a ton of intrigue, but we'll talk about some of the players. Uh, JJ Arthaga Whiteside is the first one. I have him going, Rube. I, I just think that it's time. They need to upgrade at that position. And maybe I think he'll be in camp. I think we'll have a chance to make the team as, as a, you know, an option as a special teamer and a blocker, but it's time to move on. Yeah, I would agree. And I have a piece. Um, I'm going to plug my piece here. Uh, 
is on the site this morning. I, I took a look at ten draft experts and what they what they wrote about Jay Jaw before the draft in nineteen. It was pretty interesting. Um, mo- mostly positive, but one guy, one guy, and I, I have to find his name. I couldn't find his name. I, he worked for some site I'd never heard of, but he nailed it. He nailed this pick. But most most of the most of the uh, scouts were were pretty bullish on on Jay Jaw. It's interesting to look back and read specifically what they wrote about him. But anyway, yeah, uh, he's not going to be here. I mean, you got to get better at that position, especially if you're going to keep Rager. You can't have two wide receivers that can't catch the football. Yeah. And we'll get to Rager in a, in a second here. But the next one alphabetically is Deion Kane. He, you guys might not even know who he is, former six-round pick out of Clemson. Began his career with the Colts in 2018 with Nick Sirianni. He's played in the league a little bit. We haven't really seen much of him. Uh, I think maybe practice squad again, but not on the not on the final roster. He goes. He goes. Yeah. Nothing? No. No, but I was going to say Keyshawn Johnson, who's on the Eagles practice squad, I think all year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Elevated the, for a game or two. Yeah, he's with the 49ers. He signed with the 49ers uh, as a uh, futures player yesterday, which is interesting. He's got more, uh, career, more career yards than Jalen Rager. Yeah, he's actually played in the league. Yeah. Ugh. Speaking of Jalen Rager, here he is. He stays. He has to, and I he has to. Yeah, it's, and this is a contract thing. They're not gonna, they're not gonna take on the dead money to cut him unless the maybe he becomes a problem child or something like that, and they have a reason. But he's gonna be here. Yeah, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's um, his cap figure is about three point four million, and the dead money would be seven point. Five, something like that. Something like that. It, it would almost, it was, it would just about double it. Yeah. So yeah. it would cost the Eagles four more under their cap to not have them here. Basically, it's not an exorbitant amount when you like compared to, you know, the quarterback that they traded um, to the Colts a year ago. But it's too but much. Also- <laughs> What's that? You're not going to get a first round pick for Jalen Rager. <laughs> no, you're going to waste one. But um, I mean, I, I think. From a football standpoint, I'm you know they have to move on, but you know I, I I don't know what you do because he can't be the number three. He just can't be. You can't put a guy out there playing seventy snaps a game who can't catch a football, can't get open, and can't run a route, and can't catch a punt, can't run an end around, can't run a jet sweep. I mean I, I don't so for financial reasons you keep them but then you just kind of stash them on you know make them inactive every week i just don't know what you do with them um without knowing the cap situation what they're going to do in free agency if they if there's any way to cut them i would i, I would cut them just because i just Try don't want any way to trade them you think anyone would give anything for them yeah i think you get a conditional eight for them <laughs> I don't know, maybe seven. maybe someone Liked him in obviously teams liked him in the draft, maybe not as much as the Eagles, but he would have been a second round pick. Yeah, but you know, that do you works. want to take on the embarrassment of trading a first round pick for a, a six round pick two years later? Yes. <laughs> and you still have uh, the cap hit, but you might get, you know, you get a late round pick. I would do it. If somebody offered me anything, somebody offered me a seven, I would do it. Conditional seven. Like it, it's a, you don't get anything unless he catches thirty passes and then becomes a seven. I would take it, yeah. and then he catches fifty, he becomes a six. You know, if he catches seventy, he becomes a five. <laughs> but 
it, it just hamstrings the whole position because I just feel like if he's here, they're going to play him, and he's not going to help. And they need they need to put three really good receivers out there, and they just don't have them. So it's it's a problem. Uh, Devontae Smith is next. Are you going to keep him, Rube? Yeah, I have him. I have. I, I thought long and hard about it. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing this growth, uh, which, as you know, I think as Jalen gets better, hopefully, you know that Devontae's numbers are going to increase. Devontae, the thing about Devontae, like he didn't have a lot of easy catches. Like there weren't a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of Devontae's open throw him the ball. I mean, he made some circus catches and incredible catches. Um, and then there were a few, but once he starts getting some easy catches, I mean, I think his performance is going to go through the roof. And I see him being like a 13, 1400 yard guy next year. Yeah, I, I think that's reasonable, honestly. I don't think that, I think it's a reasonable ex- expectation for him to, to get better in year two. And is, whatever you think about Jalen Hurts, if he's the quarterback next year, that's the second year with the quarterback. You know, people made a big deal about them playing together before but i mean it was a long time ago and they were both different players when they got here so completely different offense yeah so the second year and the system second year with the quarterback i think it's reasonable to expect 13 1400 yards yeah but the quarterback has to get better for that to happen but you know we'll we'll see about that but yeah i'm i'm uh, i'm excited you know it's been so long since they've had you know a young receiver to be excited about you know it's i mean it's been 12 years since they drafted Macklin, you know? All right, I'll give you the next one. It's a, This might be the trickiest one of the bunch. Greg Ward, what do you do with him? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it obviously has to do with what you do in the draft. Um, they didn't use him very much. He, he produced for the most part when they did. Um, he played a lot of snaps. He never got the ball. I don't know. I – I, I like Greg Ward, and I, I, I think there's value in having a guy who, who can do what he can do, but they just didn't really use him this past year. So um, I'm fine keeping him. I, I tend to think he'll be here. Um, but, you know, certainly if they want to upgrade, I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I have him going. Uh, he's a restricted free agent, so they're not going to tender him. I, I can't see them paying him $2 million to not throw him the ball. So maybe they sign him on a cheap deal. He comes back. But in a way, I'm almost like kind of rooting for him to go somewhere else and and have a different opportunity. I don't think it's going to happen here. I, I don't think they they particularly want to play him, this coaching staff. And I think he can play a little bit. I, I think we all kind of understand there's limitations, but he's a decent little player. Yeah, and I thought he was used perfectly two years ago, where you know he he would he would move the sticks on third down. If it was third and five, you know he would get you six yards. The largest truck I've ever seen in my life. I heard that. Did it drive through the the front door? (laughs) What happened there? Driving in my front yard. Yeah. It's like the largest truck I've ever seen. You ever see that that Spielberg movie about that truck that's chasing the guy? Oh, Jurassic Park? No, it's not about a truck. It's about dinosaurs. Oh, wow. It was called called like Chase or something. It has no dialogue. It's the first movie Spielberg ever made. And somebody's going to tweet t- tweet to me the, the name. I'm, I'm going to look it up here. But um, it's amazing. Um, there's no dialogue. The whole movie is a giant truck 
um, chasing a guy, and it, it's called Duel. It's called Duel, and um, it never explains this, why this truck. Why the truck? See the truck. You never see the driver. It's just the truck is like the evil, you know, evil character in the movie, um, and the truck kind of takes on a personality and a life of its own. Um, it's really well done, and uh, yeah, check it out. Duel Spielberg. And there's like there's no dialogue. The only dialogue is when the guy who's the truck is chasing is like in a he's in a phone booth trying to get help, and then the phone booth doesn't. But anyway, it's it's uh, I don't know how we got on this, but that, actually that's the truck. I see Spielberg out there. <laughs> if you have to leave, feel free to take off, man. The truck trying to trying to get me. Anyway, um, I, I I do I I think you make a good point about Ward. He's not going to be look if he wasn't in the rotation this year. You'd hope they upgrade how's, the position. How is he going to be in the rotation next year when – yeah, so I'm going to say he's gone. I think that makes sense for him. I mean, he wants to play, and and he's not going to get that opportunity here. So, yeah, I'll say I'll say he goes. Okay. The last one's Quez Watkins. I think we agree that he's going to be here. What do you think of his ceiling, though? Because Nick Sirianni certainly seems to like Quez Watkins. He called him his number two. Do you think he can be a number two in this league, or or do you think he's not? I think saying Quez was number two is more of a statement on Rager than a statement on Quez. <laughs> you know, but but I, mean, I do I, think Sirianni likes him quite a bit. Yeah, I think he could be. I mean, for for him to have what six hundred forty seven yards, I think was the number this year, um, when he was the third receiver for the most part, and um, I know people like you know. There was routes he stopped on. There was things, you know, he, he's a six-round pick. You, you're going to be a raw talent. You think about where he came from last year to this year. Um, I think he can be a two. I think ideally he's a three. Um, I think a really dangerous three, you know, because, I mean, he's, you know, he's 150 yards from being an 800-yard receiver. So I see, I see, I see him being that kind of guy. Like we're putting these numbers out. Like we got Devontae with 1,300 yards, Quez with 800 yards, and they run the ball 50 times a game. It's going to be tough for that to happen. But I really like Quez, and I think he's got a lot of upside. Um, I was bullish on him coming into the season. I, I People thought I was crazy. I mean, I, I really I really liked what I saw just in the brief times that we saw him as his rookie year at the end of the year. Um, but uh, I, I think ideally Devontae – veteran free agent guy comes in quez is the three and maybe at some point in the next couple of years quez can be a two but i just think it'd be a really good three right now i'm with you i'd like to see them get him outside at times too i i know that if they sign a free agent receiver he's probably going to be an outside receiver right and that forces quez in the slot but i think quest has some versatility i think he can line up outside i think he can line up inside i'd like to get that speed outside at times and let yeah. him stretch the field from the perimeter and not just in the seam. And he's done that at times, but i like to see a little more of that. I, I would have liked to see more of that in the past season and try to get something out of Rager in the slot, and I never really seemed to do that. Or yeah. get Rager off the field and put Gainwell in the slot, which was – I was carrying that flag for a while. Didn't you were. My way. You were. Um, I like the fact that Quez, I think as the year went on um, – you saw hit the mid-range game develop. Just because a guy's a speedster doesn't mean it's got to be all go routes. I mean, you can get you can use that speed to get open in the mid-range game, and he was really dangerous doing that. You know those those you know eighteen to twenty-five yards. We saw him do that. That was really really encouraging. 
Um, he's got pretty good hands. I mean, he had a couple notable drops, um, bad drops, but for the most part, he's got good hands. Um, I think he just needs to play. He just needs experience. I mean, he's a raw talent coming out. Um, I mean, to be a six-round pick, I mean, that's a lot of teams passing on you. So um, I had a, I'll had plug another story. I, I had my Howie's top 10 value picks since 2016 when he was reinstated. Some of these guys, I mean, we talk about guys like Malata and Quez and, and you know, Gainwell. I mean, these are late-round guys, and and they've done pretty well in the, in the, in the later rounds. Um, you know, we talked about Driscoll, who was a four. Um, so to get a guy like Quez in the sixth round, is is that's a hell of a pick. Maybe they should flip one of those ones for a two-six and a seven. Somebody, somebody tweeted that to me after reading the story. They said, can we just trade the three ones for three fours? <laughs> probably get that deal. Uh, but if, if they could draft as well relatively in the first round as they do in the late, in the third through, through seventh, I mean – you know, a guy like Jalen Mills, seventh round pick. So, um, it's it is it's a strange dynamic. It's kind of it's it's all backwards. Yeah. You got anything else? No, no. It's good. You know, Sunday's going to suck having a Sunday with no football. That's going to be Pro rough. Bowl. Eagles <laughs> like have five said, players. You're not going to watch the Pro Bowl, are you? Maybe you're going to want. Oh my god! I want them to bring back the skills competition. Yeah, I like that. That was fun. Yeah. I basically hate all all-star games. Do you? Even I really baseball? do. Baseball is the only one. But I, I like watching the introductions, and I'll watch maybe the first three innings, and I'll lose interest. But, um, I mean, I, I don't – I just – I mean, basketball is like – I mean, the thing is I love about basketball, like defense, and they don't they do not do that in the all-star games. Same with hockey. Pro Bowl is a joke. It's not even football. It's like two-hand touch. Can't watch that. Baseball is the only one that's like actually the same game. You know, it's actually the game. They're actually playing baseball. Um, but like the All-Star game used to be like, well, these are one-eye story. When I was growing up, it was like that was your chance to see like the American League guys that you never got to see. Wow, there's Boo Powell, you know, like there's Harmon Killebrew. We saw his home run in the in the Mall of America. We saw we saw with the spot where Harmon Killebrew hit that home run. Um, but he didn't hit it in the mall. He hit it in the stadium. That was where the mall was built. Uh, but anyway, I don't like all-star games. I won't watch the Pro Bowl. I'll find something else to do. I'll find a college basketball game or something. All right. If you enjoy the Eagle podcast, please do us a favor. Rate and subscribe wherever you get your pods. If you're watching on YouTube, please click the like button and subscribe there as well. That's it. We'll be back with you next week for Ruben Dave. This has been Eagle Eye. We'll talk soon.